Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. I are muted. I'm there. I'm here. Oh, you beat me there, you mutant you. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, I love the beginning part where it says, you are a mutant. And I'm like, no, I'm not, Kevin. Quit saying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Get outside here. What's uh, doing today? 87. Nice. We finally got our first warm day yesterday at 93. First time we went over 85 the whole year. Wow, well, you guys have been pretty lucky because I've had some really hot days here. We had 110 heat index the other day, so. Yeah, I know. I've been hearing that from all my friends all over the country that they've just been barbecuing for a couple months. And it's been, like, raining in the 60s and 70s here up until just, like, yesterday. Nice. Yeah, it was kind of, it was pretty interesting for our little run up to the yak there for five days and, it was like in the 60s and the low 70s and had a couple, well, about a day and a half of fairly heavy rain and the rest of it was all pretty much light rain. So we went out squashing the rain, who gives a shit. But uh, I was surprised as uh, rainforesty as it looks at it. And it doesn't look like around here up there. It looks like the Pacific Northwest. There's, you know, ferns and moss hanging from trees and gigantic fucking trees. Um, and you would think it would be you know, mosquito-infested hell with that much water around, but no. <laughs> I was really surprised. The other thing is that how much the canopy, it's the first time I've been in a place like that, even in Florida it wasn't like that, where if you're standing out in the open in a clearing and it's raining, you're getting wet, like you're getting wet fast, and that's what was going on. And as soon as we'd walk under the canopy of the forest, that was it, we weren't getting rained on anymore. It was completely closing off the fucking rain that much. It was like all of a sudden it's not raining. No, it's still raining. You're just standing underneath the fucking forest canopy that's so thick that you're not getting any of it. Wow, that is. Yeah, that's the first time I've experienced that, and like I said, including three years of living in Florida. Uh, So (laughs) that was kind of different. I'm like, well, it's raining. No, it didn't. I can still hear it raining. It's just not landing on the ground. That was pretty neat. Okay, well, let me do a little quick intro and get us started here so I don't waste a bunch of time because I know you hate wasting time and gabbing, so we'll get right to it. (laughs) All right, let's do it. All right, give me a three, two, one. Big Sky Howdy, and welcome to another episode of World Bigfoot Radio. And this time, I'm super happy to have a returning guest. The Soul Man of Squatching. Rich Soul is here again, and I finally got him to come back, and he's going to do the show that he promised us quite a long time ago, that he would come on and tell us about his 
Sasquatching experiences, and he's had some scary ones, so this should be fun to listen to, folks. And without further ado, let me bring on my friend and uh, one of the the top-of-the-line Bigfoot researchers out there, Rich Soul. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks, Duke. Good times. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you on my show, man. And I w- I've been really looking forward to this one because I know all the other shows that we did were generally technical discussions, which, as much as I love them, a lot of people that listen to the show want to hear those scary Bigfoot encounters. And uh, you haven't been slacking on that line either. So <laughs> I'm glad to finally have you on here to, to uh, let people know about some of the experiences that you've had um, with with the big furry dude. So where do you want to start with that, brother? Well, I thought, uh, you know, this could be my tell-all, I guess. Uh, what we could do is just kind of look back. You know, when I got started in this, uh, I uh, started going on expeditions. It really was a kind of almost like a quantum entanglement and looking back at my own childhood and experiences that I had when I was growing up camping. And I had to really kind of almost take another look at that and kind of reevaluate. It It has really changed the way I looked at nature from, from uh, when I grew up. Now, I know you had some experiences when you were a kid, and that uh, pretty much altered your view on, on uh, the whole Bigfoot thing. But, you know, I was uh, – I didn't – I couldn't really uh, – ha- I didn't really have an actual experience I could relate to it uh, other than now looking back. Uh, you know, through time, I can say that I certainly did have some some experiences. But uh, so I thought I could talk a little bit about um, some of the things that I had happen when I was younger, and kind of that. You know, it's it. it I don't know that you. I guess I don't really agree with the term coincidence anymore because things seem to happen <laughs> for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the way I look at you know some of the experiences I had in nature when I was younger. But, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time uh, um, picking mushrooms and that sort of thing here in Nebraska. And and then uh, my father lived in Illinois in the Chicago area. So I uh, he had a place out in the country. And we uh, I just remember looking back and uh, there was one time, I think it was in the late 70s, uh, when we had uh, he had a house and it had uh, it was uh, all glass. Um, it was kind of that architecture of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright type architecture, so it was all glass. And I remember looking out in the woods, it was surrounded by woods, and telling my dad, you know, there's some eyes out there in the woods. And look, oh, God. But it was pitch dark. Uh, this would have been uh, uh, near the Elgin, Illinois area. It's a suburb of Chicago, and the Tyler Creek was running through their property. But it was uh, pitch dark out there, so there was no, um, you know, ambient light at all, anything like that. And I could see there was like three sets of eyes. Uh, One uh, was fairly tall, I guess maybe nine feet. The other one was kind of in between that. And then there was one, you know, more lower, uh, quite a bit lower, maybe three or four feet off the ground. And, you know, this was just one of those experiences I had to look back and kind of question. You know, when you're a kid, you, you think your dad knows everything, and you just sure. take, you take their word for it. And at the time, he said, oh, those are owls. Those got to be owls out there. Well, yeah. you know, in, in, in retrospect now, uh, I know that those weren't owls. Uh, I've well, seen wait a minute, day. wait a minute. There's no no owls over there in Illinois blowing the dark eyes? <laughs> well... The 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 uh, the the difference 
from what I've been able to discern is that uh, certainly there's no owls with the size of eyes that these were, I can tell you that. And yeah. the other thing is um, there's just not enough light that, the, the you know, typically if you shine a flashlight in an area, you'll get that sort of light uh, reflection. But right. this was pitch, pitch, pitch dark, so... Uh, you know, I there was nothing there really to to create that light. It was definitely classic uh, Bigfoot eye glow that I've seen in other woods. So, um, especially uh, my experience in the woods in the Midwest. So that's definitely an experience I can look back at. I don't know that my um, dad thought much of that. I think people really tried to do their best to explain things, um, you know, owls or whatever, when it was at night and, and try to just kind of brush it off, even if they couldn't quite explain, you know, believe it themselves. Uh, but I don't right. believe those were owls. Uh, I've been in those same woods. I collected a lot of crawdads when I was younger with my stepbrother. And I just remember having experiences. Um, I didn't actually see a Bigfoot, but I, I had experiences uh, when I was younger that I felt like I was in the woods with them. And uh, I think what also uh, kind of people can relate to, if you um, the big Bigfoot and Sasquatch, Sitanga, they seem to be receptive to people who are more intuitive, kind of intuitive type people. And um, I've that is certainly a personality trait that I have. Uh, it's part of the I'm an INTP and the Myers Briggs personality type. So. Uh, it's kind of a rare personality. I'm more of a, you know, doing these kind of shows and speaking publicly is not something I typically do because I'm more of an introvert. But, you know, talking on the phone here is cool. But yeah. uh, well, these sorts of things, I, I am more kind of introverted. And I'm also more of an intuitive when I was out in the woods. So I think I had stuff happen to me that I can go back and look at that I felt like there was Bigfoot around me. At a very young age, I felt like when I was out in the woods, they were present. I've always felt that way. And you know, it's, it's, it's it, kind of interesting that you mentioned that because, ironically, I'm an introvert too. I mean, I'm a hermit. You don't see me showing up at like Bigfoot conferences and doing speeches and stuff. That's just like not my gig. And if I hadn't been like sort of hornswoggled into this position, I wouldn't be doing a show either. So I'm right there with you on that one, brother. And, you know, as far as the early things go, I don't know, how old were you when you saw those eyes? Well, I probably was like 11, something like oh, that. Oh, God. 11 yeah. years old. Uh, yeah, I was 10 years old when I saw one out sledding and went, well, I can't believe the adults anymore because they said monsters aren't real and there's one right there. So what yeah. else have they fibbed about? But, you know, the funny thing is, I, as much as I knew that they were around the woods where I lived there, and I had one even come up on the damn yard, uh, you know, at least twice, once making noise and once where I saw them, and almost walked into them. Uh, you never really saw any signs of them around the woods. You never saw tracks. You never really heard vocalizations that were anything other than, at most, them mimicking another animal and doing a really good job of it. Um, there was tree structures and stuff all over the place. And I remember quite a few times when I was a kid getting the eerie feeling that someone was watching me or someone was following me because I'd go out hunting by myself. That was, like, you know, common. And I remember one time I was sitting underneath a, a tree having a sandwich for lunch and something was throwing acorns at me, which I didn't think much about until afterwards when I realized I was sitting in a stand of pine trees and I was getting pelted with acorns. Um, <laughs> that does not compute. And then the other one that I just, you know, actually remembered recently, I uh, was talking to one of my friends about 
cruising around on, uh, you know, dirt bikes and ATVs and stuff like that in the woods. And I remember I had a four-wheel ATV, and I had this one trail that I used to like to tear up and down on because it had big hills on it, and the, and the, the trail actually curved, so it was fun to go down the hill to the little stream at the bottom and then zip back up the other side again. And I remember a couple times, and you know how loud those things are, especially when you got her full full blast and you're going up a hill as fast as you can go. Oh, yeah. Hearing hearing behind me what sounded like big, bare, flat feet whapping the trail behind me. And I remember hearing that like two or three times when I'd get to the top of the hill, I'd turn around and look, and there'd never be anything there. And, you know, so it didn't register as anything at the time. And now I think about it in retrospect and go, oh, Jesus, was there a Bigfoot friggin' running up the hill chasing me just like for fun multiple times, apparently? I don't even want to think about that. But, uh, sure you know... Were. They were. Oh, I geez, those, you know, woods, those woods. Uh, you were in, in the Duluth area, weren't you? North of Duluth, or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that those that's some pretty, pretty. That's bear country too. So. Uh, oh God, yeah, yeah. We were over on the bears. We'd see bear more often than we'd see deer. We had them raiding our garbage cans all the time. We were only about two and a half miles from the county dump, so that place was like bear central there. Um, yeah, you know, and in the. Again, it's like one of those places that you would expect Bigfoot would probably like because the the foliage, the topography, um, there's plenty of water for them. It's so dense and thick. My God, they can walk like 10 feet. You can't see them. Um, you know, that's the kind of cover they seem to like, those dismal, dense, thick, uh, plenty of water. So, yeah. And any, Well, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm like talking too much. I'm going to shut the hell up. So uh, you're 11, you saw those glowing eyes out the woods, and then what was the next thing you remember after that? Well, uh, just during that time period, I spent a lot of time uh, in those woods. Uh, there was this was an acreage, and uh, we, I had uh, there was a creek that ran through there, and we collected. Uh, we went in and got a bunch of crayfish. And if people are familiar with those, they go backwards really fast. So if you put a bucket, I figured at that age, if I put a bucket behind them and put my hand in front of them, these crayfish would uh, literally jump back into the bucket and I'd catch them. So I caught a ton of them. And when I... <laughs> literally, that totally works. That's why I'm laughing. It's like, yep, you figured that one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I just thought, awesome. So we, we, my stepbrother and I, we just walked the whole creek as far as we could go. And, uh, you know, we got pretty back into the timber. It was pretty, pretty thick forest. And, I just remember being back in there and doing that. You know, I was very focused on catching these crayfish, and we just caught huge buckets full of them. And uh, I just remember that, that, like you said, there's a feeling of uncomfortable that you get, and you know you're not alone. Well, th this was very private woods. There's, keep, you know, keep out signs. The kind of woods that, that Bigfoot loves to be in because people mm -hmm. aren't there. And so you're not supposed to be in these woods, but yet I felt like there was somebody watching me. I got really uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I remember uh, we could have gone farther, and we decided, of course, we had a lot of crayfish at the time, but we decided it's just time to turn around and go back. But both of us kind of kept looking over our head. We were down in this creek, and there was a lot of uh, tall grass and then deep timber above that. And I just remember always kind of peeking over my back, thinking that there was somebody there. And even in my own mind, I was thinking Bigfoot, because at that time period, I was aware of it. I'd seen the uh, the Patterson-Gimlin uh, film, 
on the show in search of uh, back on, you know, public, I don't know, we had three or four channels back in the 70s you can get with your rabbit ears. And so I just remember watching that Leonard Nimoy show uh, in search of, and I think that was the first time I'd seen it. So I was definitely aware of it. I had read books about Bigfoot. I, you know, didn't completely know 100% that they were in the woods that I would be in, uh, especially I, I felt more like it was more in the Pacific Northwest is where they were. Right, know, right. Uh, but later, I uh, right around actually right around that same time period, my grandmother from South Dakota would send me, and I still have these uh, newspaper articles from reservations up there that they had sightings up there. So I was all it was always on. You know, when I was out in the woods, my radar was on, and I was I was definitely thinking that there was a potential to see Bigfoot, and uh, it's just that feeling that you get. And that intuitiveness, I think they, they're drawn to people like that. So I think from a young age, this really set in on me. Um, you know, so speaking of that feeling you get, before we go on anymore, I think it's it's interesting to bring this up because you're enough of a woodsman. You've been around in the woods a lot and uh, yeah. probably done all the other things associated with it, hunting, fishing, gathering mushrooms, rock hounding, whatever. Um, did you notice that I've had the feeling where I've been watched before, and I knew it wasn't Bigfoot. Um, I've had predators watch me before, and you get that feeling, and you can tell you're being watched by a predator. But for some reason, when it's Bigfoot, it's a completely different feeling. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah, I believe so, yeah. I think you're right. Um, You know, I haven't been in the woods with real... I mean, I've been in the woods with big predators, but nothing that um, was anything that would be threatened by, um, like, grizzly or something like that. Uh, although I've been, I guess, apparently I was very close to grizzlies up there when I was in Montana. Yeah, it's kind of better than you told sometimes. Or you wouldn't <laughs> go there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's uh, more of a... You know, I've had several experiences where it's more of a curiosity, I guess, that you feel like you're being watched rather than fear. But I have had experiences where there is a deal of fear, and it was Bigfoot also. So I guess it right. just depends on uh, if they think you're a threat or if you're uh, kind of violating their privacy or something or, you know, they don't want you around um, or if you're just curiosity to them. You know, I honestly think when I was getting those crayfish, that we were uh, getting, um, we were collecting some of their calories, and they were not very happy about that. Uh huh. Yeah, that's probably why they were following you, watching you. They're like, "What are these kids going to steal all of our snacks? What the hell?" Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't. I mean, that was a great lesson for me too, because there was so many of those in the, that creek. I couldn't believe how much it was. Just, I probably had like a, you know five-gallon bucket full of crayfish. I mean, it was wow. huge. It'd make nice. a nice little deal, yeah, for a Bigfoot. And as easy as I was catching them with their big hands, I'm sure they employ the same technique, just put yep. their paw behind it, their hand, and put a hand in front of them, and they dart right back into your into their hand, especially the way their hand, they have more of a cup to their yep. hand. So I bet they just really easy, you know, at night they could go up and down creeks and just get tons of calories like that. But yeah. I and got, they don't need a bucket because their hand is the size of a bucket, so that covers that part of it. Exactly, and they just eat as they go. So, uh, But I got the impression we were probably wearing out our welcome there, and 
we we turned around and left and it's one of those things where you don't really consciously think about it at the time but then you you look back and you're like you know i i i left that area because i something just didn't seem right you know yeah and so that happens often too you just kind of unconsciously decide i'm not going to go down this trail or i it's time to turn back yeah <laughs> and, I can remember a couple times when I was up there by myself with my gun, and like I said, you know, generally, uh, after I got over my initial horror at seeing the the first one and five, six years down the road when I was back in the woods heavily armed again by myself, I would go and check out new areas that I hadn't been to because we had just this massive, you know, 10 by three and a half mile woods behind my house. That's a lot of land. So uh, there was a lot of areas to go hunting in. There was a lot of areas that weren't that easy to get to. So I would tend to try and find new ones and explore them and stuff. And, man, there was somewhere you started to walk in, and it was just like you'd walk into a wall of, like, twilight or something. And I don't mean that physically like you're seeing it. But, like, all of a sudden it's like everything is quiet, everything is creepy, and you just get this intense feeling that you're, like, in an area where you are not supposed to be. And it's, like, really sudden and really intense and you can walk back 10 feet and you don't have that feeling anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that exactly. I had an area that I did research in years later and it was during the nineties, I would go and do some running. I used to run on trails. I used to be actually a pretty good athlete when I was younger. And so as you get older, you try to, you know, keep, keep active. And so this was like when I was in my twenties and thirties, I was still actively running. Well, instead of running on the streets, I would go and run trails in in the woods. And I would get an area that it was just heavily, there was uh, always, it was kind of a low bottom area, of a, a lower area, kind of ravine area, lower area of the, these woods. And there was a tons of bushes, really high bushes that were very heavy uh, vegetation. And in the summertime, when I would run by there, I'd pick up the pace a little bit. Sometimes there'd be a smell, or it would, but it would always be an energy, a feeling that like you don't, you shouldn't be here. Like uh, exactly. And so I, 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 and at the time, I was just like, uh, I always tried to rationalize things, like you know, maybe I just because it's just this area I can't really see very well in that I'm just my mind is creating this kind of yeah. Or this area looks kind of spooky, and that's why I'm getting this reaction to it. Yeah. But but in all reality, I'm not that type of person because I'm really willing to go into areas people wouldn't want to go into. So that wasn't the case. The case was there was really energy there that made me feel that fear. And I believe that they're able to do that. Uh, they don't want you in certain areas. They give off this vibe like, you know, you need to leave, and you feel it. It's a feeling. Uh, that you receive from them. So uh, I've definitely felt it. I felt both, yeah. brother. I felt the ones where it's like I know they're around. I even roughly know what direction they're in, and you can tell they're watching you because you get that feeling like a human's watching you or something. Something's you know, something is watching me. But then there's the other ones like we're talking about where it's like you're not feeling like you're being watched from any specific direction or anything. It's just like this. Uh, you know, a cloud of malaise all of a sudden descends on you, and like you know, suddenly you feel like you're you're walking through a troll-infested swamp or something, and you're going, "What the hell is around here?" And you just, I, you know, it's, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just like this, uh, like a cloud of dread descends yeah. on you all of a sudden. 
Exactly. And, you know, this is an excellent uh, segue to my next uh, experience I could uh, share with you because uh, I had uh, fast forward from my childhood uh, to when I got started with going on expeditions. I went on the uh, I, uh, 20, 2011 expedition on BFRO here in Nebraska, and it was the only expedition we've had here uh, with the BFRO, and it was in the northwestern part of the state in Pine Ridge National Forest. And so, I was right, there. so let the listeners know you're sort of you're right on the on the edge of the big old Rocky Mountain chain. There, it's where it starts getting really mountainous and wooded. This would be uh, if people are familiar with the Black Hills of South Dakota. If you've ever been up there and seen uh, the um, Mount Rushmore and the the um, Black Hills. This area is like the brother or sister to that uh, area. It is. Wow. Um, it has uh, the, the the main difference. It's not quite as big, but the main difference is there's no. Um, you have all the camping and people that can plug in their campers and all that electrical outlets and all that. Well, in Nebraska, at the Nebraska National Forest, it's all remote camping. There's no. Um, you don't have any RVs and that sort of thing. So it's pretty right. much. The opposite More primitive. Of, yeah, very primitive, but it's the very same. It goes from uh, 4,000 up to 5,500, almost 6,000 elevation. Uh, so oh, that's, that's their preferred elevation, too, four to 6,000 lower montane. That seems yeah. to be what they love. Good. That's good to know. Yeah, that's a, so kind of low, low uh, mountain range, and it uh, has the beginnings of the – there's a aqua, there's a lot of aquifers and stuff. Nebraska has a very large uh, the Ogallala Aquifer is out in that area uh, in, the, in the middle of the state, but it extends out into that area and comes up into that. Uh, so you have uh, literally um, water just coming up out of the ground. And the Niobrara River, which is a scenic river in the state of Nebraska, starts there. You can literally jump across it. It's so small <laughs> at that point. <laughs> there right on. Uh, but it's it's a great uh habitat so you've got this sandy kind of soil and mountain mountainous pine forest um and so that was where our uh, expedition was there have been many sightings up there and those sightings were um uh a part of uh, uh the reason why we we came up there and the guy who led the expedition was uh mitch who uh um, had set that all up, his experiences there. So we knew that uh, they were there. We had some really good intelligence or sightings that they were there. And when we, when I first pulled in there, this was my first expedition to go on a public one. And most of the guys that were there were all uh, investigators. There was only two people, myself and another guy from Nebraska, a guy from Iowa, and then a mother and a son from Colorado. The rest of them were all investigators for the BFRO, and they were all, uh, had been on many expeditions in Colorado, and um, and then the one guy had been on, like, every BFRO expedition in 2009. Oh, so you were like the, you were the greenhorn in the crowd there. Yeah, I was a total newbie. They had all this uh, equipment. I was just overwhelmed. Uh, they had, of course, the R2-D2 unit, which, which people <laughs> Uh, which was cool. This was before the shows had been televised, so this was prior to the show. 
one of the guys, uh, Kirk uh, Brandenburg, had shot video or FLIR video back in 2009 in New Mexico, and that was one of the first uh, FLIR uh, videos of Bigfoot. That was in uh, the Jimenez Mountains in New Mexico. So he had, I spent time with him. I just had a really good experience. But the weird thing was when I got there is this feeling, like you said, this malaise was there. It was just like uh, despair. There was a feeling like, uh, you know, okay. I really, when I got out of my vehicle, met these guys, very nice guys, uh, I had this feeling of despair. And it was like, what is going on? What? Why? You know, I've been, I was psyched to drive. I literally drove like nine hours across the state of Nebraska to get to this location. <laughs> I was very excited uh, to be there. But this feeling that was in the air was like, you are, you know, I should probably leave. Uh, I, I don't think anybody, you know, something's wrong. I mean, something's very wrong. Uh, and that never, that was something that just never left. Uh, usually that dissipates over time. But that feeling was there all the time. It was very weird. So, wow. Yeah, it was just very unsettling. And, and it, it really challenged me. It got me questioning, you know, should I, should I be doing this? Have I made it, you know? Did I make the right choice to come do this? This was, yeah. of course, have a lifelong dream of mine. So it was a big deal to, to go do this. At that time, uh, I had never, um, you know, I hadn't really um, pieced together my childhood and other things. This, So I was just looking at this through kind of a, a clean slate, trying to just get get an understanding of what's going on with Bigfoot and what this organization is. And, and these were all great guys I talked to. The, the weird thing is then, uh, as we started, you know, we set up camp and everything, and uh, we had our uh, first night op, I got to go up on, uh, up and uh, hike up in the ridge line, uh, probably about, I don't know, 45 or 5,000 elevation. You know, at that time, I had, um, I'd been in the mountains, but until you get walking in the mountains for a while, you know, you get kind of winded. So it was yeah. one of those. I had my recording. I took. I brought a recording equipment with me, and um, you know, just just basic equipment that I understood that I might be helpful. So I did have my recorder, and uh, Kirk had literally a state of the art at that time, clear. But he, he had to have in order to shoot video, he had to have a big uh, battery pack that he carried on his side. So it was just kind of crazy when looking back now, that is, doesn't seem that long ago, but the technology is really advanced. I have a TK Scout there now, and it's in my, it's in my palm of my hand, and it's more, it could do more than the thing that he had at that time. But he had a big battery pack he carried around just to shoot pictures and stuff. It was crazy. So, <laughs> yeah, this is crazy where we come from. But uh, so we, we got the first night we got split up into groups and um like i said there was just that feeling i i had decided <laughs> i had a small tent but what the, the what they had us do is they spread us all apart so we all were camped uh away from each other so everybody was camped in their own little area so essentially you were by yourself uh, right. when you were on this expedition and that's kind of they like to try to get you know them to come in well, I had a little tent, but at the time I thought, you know, I think I'm just going to sleep in the back of my, you know, I hate to admit this now, but uh, I, I I think I'm just going to sleep in the back of my Durango. So instead of <laughs> that, I, I had all my stuff set up in the back of this 
uh, Durango that I had, this black Durango. And it was all tinted windows, so I thought, you know, I, I'll, I'm just going to stay up, and I'm probably not going to sleep anyway. I'm going to check all this out. Well, I had that, my camp set up and everything, and the first night they wanted us to go up on a ridge line, and um, so a group of us hiked up there, and we did calls back and forth from a group that was down in the timber, and, you know, typical stuff you see on a BFRO uh, thing that one group does a call, radio call, the other group calls back. We had uh, immediately, though, we had, after we had done our call, we had what sounded like was an owl sound. And it was very strange. Um, since then, I um, know that Bigfoot had, does uh, type mimicking type sounds. And at that time, yeah. I didn't, wasn't fully aware of that. So... In my mind, I'm thinking this is actually an owl coming up towards us. But it's very, this owl uh, sound comes very quickly uh, up a very steep ridge. And it doesn't seem like it's flying, but it's, 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 it's getting there very fast. And it doesn't sound like the owl that we heard around camp. The owl that we, earlier in the night that we heard around camp had a warble at the end of it. So it had kind of a, sound, um, I can't remember the name of the owl right now, but it, it made kind of a sound almost like uh, a neighing of a horse, and then it'd have a warble at the end of it, kind of a weird owl sound. Well, this sound did not have any warble at the end, so it was it was variation of this owl sound that we heard around camp, and, which I thought was odd. It struck me as odd, but it, all of a sudden it came right up to us, and it was really loud. And it, it was just eerie. It was like, what in the hell? And there on the radio, a guy uh, behind me, Todd, he a, was a researcher from Colorado, and Glenn was from Wyoming, and then Kirk was from Washington State. And we're radioing back to, to camp that we've got this uh, strange owl sound. And then all of a sudden, I had my recorder. They asked me, you know, if I was just, could record. So I had my recorder, and I put it on my uh at the time, I had one of those um, uh, walking sticks. I thought I needed a walking stick, so I had a nice walking stick. And I had my recorder tied on the walking stick and held it in the air, you know. Very obvious I was trying to record something. Uh, but all of a sudden, the Todd behind me uh, and and uh, says that something's right next down below us, and it's grunting, made a grunt noise. So what had happened is we got this owl sound coming uh, from one direction, and then right down beside me on this big rock outcropping that I'm sitting on, one of the Bigfoot came up so close to me, literally could have grabbed me off the rock and grunted. Now, it sounded, the owl sound that was coming sounded like the neighing of a horse. And later, I realized I was wearing a um, outback. It was like a all-leather oil leather um, like uh, jack coat I had on. It was like an outdoors coat. It was all leather. But it had been hanging in a horse barn for like six years. So oh, must, my God. So you smelled like a horse. horse. It smelled like yeah. a horse. So now, uh, you know, it wasn't at the time, but I was kind of freaked out. But I think what happened was they smelled this horse smell. They came up. They were doing like a name kind of sound and then kind of owl main sound. And then one of them, it would have been some kind of, you know, flanking maneuver, came in and 
smelled me real close and then grunted and realized I wasn't what they thought I was. Uh, (laughs) Wait, that's not a horse. There's a human there. Yeah, exactly. And so I was just shocked. This this was shocking to me when we're literally, I mean, it's pitch dark all around us. And the guy behind me saying that we got a Bigfoot right below me here that's grunting. And I thought, you know, that's when the fear kind of hit me, uh, a little overdrive there. And I'm like, what in the hell did I get myself into? Um, I had no idea that they would be coming that close. I didn't think, um, I thought, you know, I might be able to get a view on, with some binoculars or something. <laughs> Not yeah, like they'd be right there trying to touch you and run away. <laughs> yeah, literally one came in to distract us, so we were looking straight ahead. Classic hunting uh, behavior. Uh, we're we're all looking straight ahead, and then the other one came up right up next to me and grunted. So it was just below this big rock, rock outcropping, and I had not could not see it at all. Would not have known it was there, but it just really made a few grunts, like you know, you're obviously not what we thought you were, or what the hell's a horse doing up here, or whatever. But very strange experience. So, Did the recording uh, pick up the uh, any of it, the, the owl sounds or the grunt or anything? Yes. Uh, I've got a recording of the owl sounds, and I've got the recording. It's actually on my website, a yeah, recording of that. I could send it to you, too, if you want to hear it. Yeah, we'll have to put that on the show here now that we teased everybody. We'll have to let them listen to it. Yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you. And the, you can hear us talking back and forth and radioing back and forth and doing the calls, and then you hear this owl sound uh, coming up to us. The grunt, you can't really hear it. It's tough to hear because it starts, the wind starts blowing, but you hear the, the you hear uh, Todd's basically radioing back to the other group that, yeah, we've got Bigfoot activity and they're right here. They're right below us. <laughs> they're right here. God. So, uh, yeah, between that and the, the uh, cloud of dread that descended as soon as you showed up, that was probably pretty disconcerting. It, it was. And we went back to camp then that night, and of course, we. They were all about trying to keep us, uh, you know, kind of have everybody had their own little camp area, so they had us really separated, all spread out. So it was really set up for an experience to have them come in very close. The problem was is that the the researcher that had set this expedition up, he'd always just had a small group of people that would come there, and then they'd leave food for them when they left. And the fact that he brought all these people now uh, really pissed off the alpha male, and it was kind of a violation of their relationship, I believe. You know, now, right. now what we know. And so we were unwanted guests, and we were in unwillingly uh, tromping around in their woods and not welcome at all. So uh, that that night, then when we came back to camp, I went out with Kirk and Paul, another guy who had uh, came from Iowa, good friend of mine now, and we went out and. Uh, that night and did some, we went into the woods that they were calling from earlier that night. When I was up in the ridge line, they were calling down from these woods and they had all kinds of howls and stuff going on. And as soon as we got there, we get out of the vehicle and shut the door and a tree gets pushed down. And Whoa. so that got interest. That got my attention real fast. And we, um, Kirk had explained that, you know, nobody's ever been injured on any of these BFRO expeditions, and we've never had any, you know, anybody hurt, and, you know, that's Did he say yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, there's always an exception. So 
but uh, I I was still pretty wide eyed, and I just wanted to you know I wanted to get these experiences in and just you know, but I I was really questioning. Uh, I really questioned myself. You know, had I should I even be here? What the hell have I gotten into? Because that feeling of despair and fear just never left. Uh, it was yeah. really overwhelming. Um, and and now I look back at it. Uh, we were really getting some strong signs there that we should not be there at all, and we were not welcome by any means. So that was strange. That night um, when I came back to camp, um, of course, you're by yourself. Uh, everybody, uh, a couple hundred yards away, they had everybody spread out. So you were pretty much by yourself. And uh, I get, I had to take a piss, so, you know, I had to take a piss. And I get back into my vehicle and I decide I'm just going to sleep in there which it actually was plenty of room it got pretty cold at night too so it wasn't that bad of an idea to do that but I just remember when I went to go to bed Todd said you know I don't know if I'd like sleeping in the back of my vehicle because you know they, they can come up and peek in your window you go, at least in my tent I won't see it you know oh, like, God. here we go I'm gonna have one probably stare me down in the window here but I, I managed to go to sleep uh, in the middle of the night, well, by that time it was already like three in the morning or something. But I think probably an hour later, four thirty or so, I awoke to a scratching sound on the side of my vehicle, like a long scratch. And I opened one eye up. I didn't have uh, my glasses on, so I couldn't see very well. But um, about that same time, I think just before I had woke up. There, I was. I, I thought I was having a dream, and I guess this is common. Some people call this mind speak, but I was told, or at least in this dream, I was I had the um, the impression that a female Bigfoot was talking to me, and it was weird because she was very ugly, big bulbous nose, hair hairy, but she had in in my dream she had uh, she had almost like cauliflower ears which I had never seen a Bigfoot or anybody ever explain that. So I just thought I was dreaming, you know. You know, those kind of wrestlers get cauliflower ear really bad. And I just thought, you know, this is just an ugly troll-like thing or something. But it was very ugly, supposedly a woman. But she was speaking to me very calmly, and she was telling me I had nothing to worry about, that I had nothing to be afraid of, and that – that nobody was going to hurt you. You weren't going to be hurt. And then I I woke to the scratching sound on the side of my vehicle. And at that time, I didn't have any idea of stuff like this. You know, I had no reference of mind speak or anything like that. I just assumed I was dreaming. Um, That morning when we got up, it started raining. So it really got rainy in that area. So we went into town and I started telling Kirk about it. He was telling me about orbs and other stuff that people have experienced and that sort sort of mind speak. And he actually thought I may have had an experience uh, that night with that female. And so I, to be honest with you, I still am, I'm not sure because I've never seen a Bigfoot look like that. Usually their ears, you can't hardly ever see them or there's too much hair. So, and something that would be outside, I would think if you had ears like that would be pretty jacked up, but um, <laughs> yeah. That was one thing that stuck out to me, that just weird uh, experience. But so my first, you know, expedition, we had um, a lot of stuff like that going on. There was just that dread 
that just really kind of um, made me feel like questioning whether I should have, you know, even be doing this. And overall, though, the the guys that I met and got to use all this really, they had they had night vision like um, equipment that was, you know, military grade night vision. You can see mice running around, you know. Uh, I just lit, lit up mice out in the field like you wouldn't believe. So uh, we literally had uh, everything you could possibly want to experience. Um, but it was kind of, you know, it was a eerie experience. And, and especially being by yourself when, you, when you're out in those areas, um, you just really uh, kind of captured your imagination, some of it. But what, yeah. we did find, what I did find out is that you know, I totally embraced it. I couldn't wait till I went on another expedition. Unfor- uh, I We went back there later in the spring, and there was a big fire that following fall, so it really kind of screwed up a research area that I wanted to get into. And you know how those, those fires are. Uh, they just they just decimate the, the, the timber in those areas. And um, so that that kind of ruined that, and that really is what pushed me out into going on expeditions in Iowa and Colorado and New Mexico, and so that's and Montana real. and Montana, yes. So uh, so that was kind of one of my first uh, experiences on those expedition. It was cut short because we had so much rain, we had to get out of there. Um, but I wound up then uh, going into Iowa, and I could kind of talk about some of that, unless you want to visit more about that first experience I had. No, keep going, man, because I know some of the later experiences that you had were pretty hair-raising, and people yeah. definitely want to hear about those. Yeah, yeah. And I had one recently just in August when I was – or, or um, in May when I was up on the res that I got to tell you about, too. So don't let me leave without telling that. Um, okay. Uh, that that one is a literally a bluff charge from the water. So oh God. remind me to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so in Iowa we had um, is the Salarian Escarpments, and uh, this is an area that has uh, excellent like um, trout and fishing, and they have these uh, these uh, this uh, really very nice. Um, you'd see like all this farmland and then it would just drop down into canyons and they're called these escarpments and they're just just vestiges of the ice age I believe that are um that have this beautiful canyon timber and these these streams that just run through just that are that are trout streams beautiful water uh just amazing little ecosystems up in there in northeastern Iowa and uh, part of that, it connects in as it goes towards uh, Yellow River State Forest. And that's where I had done, uh, uh, me and uh, a group, uh, Steve Moon and Bob Barheit and Paul uh, Lane, we'd gotten up in there. And we were the first to go in there and do expeditions to scout it for BFRO expedition. So first time we went there, we did a hike. This was in the Yellow River State Forest. I think I'll just tell that story so I can kind of keep moving along. I have a ton of stories, so I know we could I, we could do several shows on this. May actually oh, have to, but keep going. But I I kind of wanted to get into uh, some of this. I talked a little bit about it earlier, but uh, we were on a two track, uh, which is just a basically a one lane road with you know your two track tires and only one way you can go in and out of that. Uh, 
so we were on this road that was along a river, um, and then there was a steep uh, canyon above it, uh, timbered canyon. And as we were walking along this two-track, it was pitch dark. Um, Steve Moon likes to make sure that you're always in uh, pitch dark and that you cover even the light of your recorder. So he's in Iowa. Um, he's one of the Iowa BFRO uh, um, guys, and he does leads expeditions there. And then he wrote even some of the BFRO manual for expeditions. So very knowledgeable, very very good guy. Really like Steve. Um, he, he we were walking this two track and 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 it was pitch dark like I said and all of a sudden um, from our left about 15 yards in front of us something comes and steps up out of the off coming up off the river onto the two track and it turns and looks at us and these two eyes are just bright uh, light just glowing amber color like got really big like we just surprised this <laughs> we were surprised mind you but it was very surprised and there was nothing in between us and it it was about 15 yards and it was pitch dark it turned look at it looked at us its eyes got really big and then it turned and went walked straight up the face of this uh canyon uh it was very very steep uh and just walked away and it was about, I don't know, three seconds, something like that. It happened fairly quickly, but it stopped us dead in our tracks. And that was one of those things where I was, uh, there was not, there was, wasn't hiding behind a tree or nothing. It was caught out in the open. We were stuck out in the open with it. And it was very big. It was a good eight to nine feet. Um, couldn't see the actual outline of it. It just looked like these eyes that were there uh, staring at us. But that that stopped us in our tracks, and wow, we, yeah. Uh, yeah, we all were like, man, that is incredible. And that area, um, that is where they did it. They wound up shooting the the Finding Bigfoot episode for that. I uh, was right in that same area, but they they didn't seem to get much activity there. There was another uh, in between these two canyons that were there. Uh, these two ridge lines. There was kind of like a ravine. And so we had that night we had hung up some uh one of the things that they liked to do when I first started getting into this was hang up these glow sticks. They wanted to always hang glow sticks up in different places. So we we didn't really get into that, me and uh, Paul, a guy that I went out with quite a bit, but we took some glow sticks with us because this canyon we were going into or this ravine was so dark we couldn't see. We barely could see, and we, we we were in the habit of going into these areas without a flashlight, with nothing. I mean, we had flashlights on us, but yet we didn't use any of the, even the red lights that they, you know, would ask people to wear. So we walked up into this uh, ravine, and we had, um, one guy had a flare, and he was staying back on the two-track, and Paul and I and... Um, another gentleman from Washington walked up into this canyon or in this ravine and we tied these um, glow sticks on these little saplings as we were walking through there because we literally could not see um, which way we were going. So we tied. So you're, these... you were leaving the glowing breadcrumb trail so you could find your way back again more than. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we left that in. We left about every, oh, probably 150 yards one of these, 
glow sticks so that we could see to get our way out of there. And it was very rocky. There was all these rocks, huge boulders and stuff. So we were having to kind of climb around a boulder and just kind of keep going. And there was a big, almost like a tree was pushed over, kind of like an arch uh, that we were trying to get to. And I literally called it the land of the lost, you know, that old show on TV. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. eerie, like, stuff. Well, because we had seen it during the day. We knew what we were getting into, but at night it was just pitch dark. We couldn't see anything. So we get we get about halfway to this tree thing, and the guy who is on his um, uh, on, the, on the floor on the two-track radios to us that he just got bluff charged uh something chased him and he's running back to the <laughs> he's running back to the car or to the truck that he can't stay around there and so he's not going to be there when we come out <laughs> oh god well gee that's good news hey the relief party just ran away and left us oh okay wonderful exactly the guy who's technically covering us with the flare is now gone and we're <laughs> We're deep into this <laughs> ravine. Oh my God! Black, and we're like, oh, you know, we were worried about him, obviously. So we started heading back out there. And I would be worried about him. He rode away. He's fine. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be worried about you because you now have an aggressive Bigfoot in between you and your exit route, and he just takes your ride away. Exactly, exactly. And that, that becomes very evident as we start walking out of this place because we're going around these boulders and trying slowly moving our way out of it. We get to the first uh, set. We probably had three sets of these uh, about 150 yards apart of these um, glow um, sticks that wrapped around these trees, these saplings. We get to the first one closest to us and we look to see the second one and we can see it, so we start moving towards it. And all of a sudden, these two big glowing eyes are standing way above the glow stick. Oh, and God. staring at us <laughs> right by the glow stick. And we're like, holy shit, you see that? Yeah, you see that? So it was there waiting for us uh, as we start. Yeah, and that was the only way out, mind you. There was no way yeah. out of it except that. And it was standing right there. So we just continued to, you know, against our better judgment, I guess, just kept moving towards it. It turned, and then we couldn't see the eyes anymore, and it moved away. But when we had to walk up by that thing, I'll tell you, we were holding our breath because you just had the impression that it was very unhappy, that feeling of uh, dread, and that you just hoped something wasn't going to pop your head off. You know, Jesus. I mean, at that level, just hoping that something does not reach out and grab you. And until you're in that situation, you really don't grasp the level of fear you have to work through to get through some of these things, these experiences I had. And most people would, would you know, get into it and say, hell no, I'll never go do that again. But I've realized uh, through my history, looking back at my life, that apparently I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I didn't even know it. And you keep coming back for more because it's fun to I be keep, scared. Yeah, I keep coming back for more. Uh, it, getting scared is part of the mental, uh, you know, game that I play in this whole you know, part of researching, you know, how how far can I push myself and, you know, I try to justify in my own mind that, 
that fear, you know, is something that you can overcome yourself. It's just my your own imagination creating this fear, um, and that you have to just overcome it. You know, it's a mental game. It's a mental exercise yeah. to overcome. I got I got to interject here, brother, that I'm probably one of the few people out there that can absolutely relate to what you're talking to, because I've been in that position before where it's dark. There is a Bigfoot in front of you. And the only way you can get away is to continue walking toward them. I can't even imagine anything worse than that. Yeah, yeah. And we're in this ravine that the rocks are so big. There's big boulders and stuff. You are moving at a snail's pace. I mean, yeah. you literally are feeling your way through this. So it isn't like even if you wanted to run, you couldn't. There was yeah. no running. Absolutely no running in from from there. So, uh, yeah. Well, you know, was, in, my, in my situation, I'm referencing the one that was sitting in the front yard waiting for me to walk into him. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, when he's right there and you're like eight feet away from him, that's pretty freaking creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that I survived that. Uh, the guy that uh, uh, Terry that had the flare, we gave him some crap that you know, obviously he was. Uh, very afraid and you know for good reason he had he was bluff charged and so you know you can't blame him for that and we just all we all made it out of there okay and obviously I'm still alive so it was just one of those creepy experiences that yeah you just got to live through and and go through till the next time um another one that I have uh this Iowa there was quite a few I did I spent a lot of time going to Iowa so I had quite a few Experiences. I'll share a real short one, uh, a last one from Iowa in the Solarian Escarpments there um, when we were uh, doing an, uh, an ex- this was just a private expedition. Uh, we had been out doing, during the day, you know, you go out and you look for st- tree structures and stuff and, and any signs of Bigfoot. Well, I had noticed when we drove by this farm that uh, there was some kittens and stuff at this farm. You know, you drive by and you see something that catches your eye. I noticed there was some kittens in this farmyard. So I was like, oh, cool. Uh, we drove back um, to our camp, and um, it was late at night when we were out, had been out and done some, some night ops, and we came back, and the storm came in. And it was probably 4.30 in the morning, 5 a.m., I was in my tent sleeping, and, you know, you hear this storm, just wicked wind, howling, uh, just windy. I had a had upgraded my tent and got a, a Kodiak canvas tent, so it was a real nice, heavy-duty tent. Well, it has well good awning. timing there, at least. Yeah. <laughs> it has an awning on it. So um, I'm laying there. All of a sudden, I hear this meow sound, a meow of a kitten, and... You know, you hear you hear a storm. I'm in this really deep, dark woods in this park, and I hear a kitten sound. And I'm like, what the hell? So I unzip my uh, zipper. I get up out of my bed, get it, get it, and go out, open it up. And I look outside, and it's pitch black. It's just howling wind, rain, torrential rain and stuff. And I can't see a, a kitten anywhere. I figured it would just be underneath my awning. You know, it was it was hiding underneath my awning because it was um, afraid, you know, with the storm. And right. in in my mind, I had seen these kittens at the, this farm, which was several miles away. So it was very odd 
kind of relationship. But for some reason, I got up, you know, it's a kittens. Somebody should respond to this. So I did. Nothing there. I, I look out just this, this windy, dark, ugly night, and all of a sudden I get this feeling that might not be a kitten. And uh, oh, I slowly zip my, <laughs> I zip my uh, tent back and go to bed with just this very uh, kind of inquisitive feeling in myself of fear and also um, what the hell was that? Something got yeah. me to pee. Something provoked me to peek outside my tent, and there was no kitten there. There was nothing there but a really nasty weather. So that was odd. The next night, fast forward, about the same time of night, it's about 5 a.m., we had done other, you know, went out. We were going through these other parks. We had our, our tent in this particular park. I can't mention it. Uh, but we we were in other of these parks in this Salarian Escarpment that were miles and miles away that we had done. Uh, we're doing night hikes in and stuff. So we weren't even in this area until we came back like four or five in the morning. Well, I came back, got into my tent, and uh, um, probably was asleep an hour, and I started hearing this kind of owl sound behind my tent. And then um, the uh, it's, it just keeps Oh, the smell of urine then just gets overwhelming. It's like the smell of urine is in the air, just overwhelming smell of urine. And it wakes me up. Just I couldn't even, I started coughing, literally. And I have a recorder, so I have this recorded. And I get, I uh, try to clear my throat. You can hear me kind of, <clears throat> kind of clear my throat. Well, my recorder that I had there died just right before this. But all of a sudden, this sound of all I can compare it to is like a mountain lion in heat with a lady kind of screaming all at the same time. Just bizarre sound, blood curling. I mean, literally hairs on my arms standing up. My, I literally just am struck with fear. Uh, just shakes me out of my bed. I mean, it was loud. It was right next to my tent. I could not believe it. And it's... <laughs> Uh, we, I got up, I got up and, um, it was still dark out, so I, I didn't do anything, but it was loud and it was a great, it was just this crazy, like something was in heat almost. I, that's all I can say. I don't know if you've ever heard a cat in heat, yep. kind of noise they make, but this would yep. be like a hundred times that. I mean, just like overwhelming noise. And I... I couldn't believe it. So then in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, this is some taunting from last night. It was a kitten, and tonight mom is here, and mom is is in heat. Or if this is a female Bigfoot, she is um, a young one or something, and she's messing with me. But it was just bizarre. I mean, it, it was very bizarre. I couldn't hardly process it. But what happened is that next morning, um, there was a researcher from uh, – from Missouri, Carter uh, Bouchard, who um, is a BFRO researcher, he had a Mercedes there, and there was a um, urine uh, spot on his vehicle that got sprayed. My tent had this urine area. So we weren't for sure what had happened. I don't believe it was a mountain lion or a, um, a, a bobcat because it was just way too loud. But whatever it was, it literally... It seemed like the night before it was testing me with the with the meow sound, and then the following night it was a full blown female in heat 
um, which was just frightening. It was absolutely frightening. So that was one of those things where you, it's the head scratcher and you're like, what the hell? But the urine uh, that was there was obviously happened. And this was in an area that had, I was camped right above a um, a cave. And this, this is how I did, I learned a lot of my research about these cave systems. The first expedition I was on was also had um, these, this underground aquifer. So this, this fresh water and these cave systems started making a lot of sense to me early on. And uh, I was literally on top of a, a sinkhole was probably a hundred yards from my tent. And I think they were coming in and out of the sinkhole from this cave system. I really think that they were using the sinkhole as an entrance uh, to this cave system. And so I think we were, I was literally sitting right on top of the Sasquatch nest or home there. Oh, God. Uh, so that was pretty crazy. That was kind of a wild experience. So I'll uh, fast forward to another one um, that I'd had in uh, the Jimenez Mountains of New Mexico. This would have been 2013. And this was, you know, you talk about the red-haired giants and all this uh, sort of thing, your, or your giants that you talk about. Well, this was the actual home to the red-haired giants that you hear about in the uh, Lovelock Cave and all that. Um, these, this would have been the same kind of mountain range they um, would have been in. And this, this was up about 9,000, 9,500 feet up in the Jimenez Mountains, right outside of Los Alamos in the Valles Caldera. And talk about a spooky area. You've got, uh, when I, we drove into Los Alamos, it's literally a military base. And so they ask you if you have guns and all that. It's, and you're literally at Checkpoint Charlie. Of a, I'd never seen a community that was literally a military base. And that right. town of Los Alamos, that's what it is. They do not let you in that town. The names of the, of the roads in that town are Bikini Atoll. And stuff oh, like Oppenheimer Road, Bikini Atoll Road. Uh, very, um, you know, just a strange. I'm sure people are nice there, uh, nothing against them, but just outsider coming into this, it's a strange experience. Of course, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, things about Los Alamos itself, the actual lab, what's going on there, and uh, the underground bases, and New Mexico just in general as a, you know, UFO hotbed. But yep. This is a strange, uh, as we got up into these mountains, this mountain we were going into, uh, which was above the Valley Scaldera, uh, there was cattle, all kinds of cattle. And what they do is they let their cattle uh, up into the mountains because the desert, you know, it's that much of a desert out there in the, uh, during the, the summer and stuff. So they just let their, their cattle do free range up in the mountains. So that's strange. You'll be up there and hear mooing echoing around in the mountain range when you're up there. So you had to kind of adjust, you know, your ears to all that. But we get up in there and uh, we have a campsite that kind of overlooks about 9,500 feet, overlooks the, the valley there, beautiful campsite. Well, we had had some experience that first night. We had a group go out and um, they had uh, encountered red eye glow and they had been um, – under a tree and they had kind of came all in all around them at this tree. And my, that was right near where I had my camp at. And we were kind of spread out. We were all, we had a base camp and then I was in the second camp, which was farther out into the, um, 
away from everything. And that night about, uh, oh, I think it was probably three, again, around 3 or 4 a.m. We'd just gotten in for the night. The, a group uh, um, that was camping uh, within their camper, uh, a lady and her son, had a camper's lap. It had a uh, big foot across the road and slapped their camper. And so they radioed that something just hit their camper. And it was hard enough that it knocked Brandon, the boy, out of his actual bed. Okay. So it, it was a good, hard slap. Um, I was not aware of this at the time. But the next, following morning, I heard about this. But the, there was another uh, a guy and a girl who were in a little, very tiny tent. It was their first expedition. They didn't have a radio. It's kind of a rookie mistake. You should always have a radio to radio for help. They didn't have a radio, and they were absolutely terrified. Two uh, Bigfoot, I believe they were adolescent ones, had came by, and they had urinated and defecated around their um, tent. And these two people were just absolutely terrified. They could not uh, – they slept in their car the rest of the expedition, but – they didn't have a radio to radio anybody, so they didn't know. They just took it, you know, literally just took this this terrifying experience of being harassed by these juveniles. And my tent was not that far away if they had radioed. Well, I was probably 100 yards from them, but, you know, if they had radioed right. at that time, I was um, That night, I had... When I went, when I had gone to there, I read. I tried to read some reports about what's going on in these areas. One of them was a report of a camper who had had a bigfoot reach their hand in their tent, unzip their tent, reach their hand in, and it was a big hairy arm reaching around in their tent. So that was in my, you know, a vivid uh, picture in my mind as I was sleeping that night. Well, about four in the morning, I hear something. I have. Next to my tent is like these evergreen bushes, and I could hear something large like get onto this evergreen bush, like step on into it, and all of a sudden come down really low next to where my my bed was on one, my cot was on one far end right next to this side of the tent. So whatever it was, it was coming on in and getting real closely next to the side of my tent where I was laying there. So I I was, you know, in the mountains, you get kind of tired, you have a long day. Um, I didn't, I just laid there to listen to what was happening, but I had a, um, like a machete corn knife that I had underneath my, um, connected next to my uh, bed. And so I just thought, you know, I've got that if I need it, if something goes terribly wrong. So I sit there and listen and whatever it is, it's huge. And I got, I, I thought, you know, I've had deer come up close to me in the past when there's other predators out there. Uh, they'll come in kind of close because they'd rather be around us than whatever's out there after them. So I I got to thinking, could this be a deer? No, it sounded much bigger than a deer. And then I got to thinking, would a cow be getting up in an evergreen bush like this and laying down and getting close? You know, that doesn't make any sense. If it was a cow, I would, you know, would think I would notice the difference, the hooves or at least how it was moving. This sounded like it was really trying to be stealthy, but yet it was pretty big that it couldn't, yeah. and it kept trying to get closer and closer, like inching closer and closer to where I was laying there. Very bizarre. Uh, so I start kind of thinking to myself, and I'm like, oh, I think I got a Bigfoot outside my tent. I think he's checking me out. And so I think in my mind, 
that I've got this knife, and then I put an image in my head that if you poke your hand in my tent, I'm going to cut your hand off. <laughs> That's what I'm putting into my head. I got this knife. I literally put this image in my head that I'm going to do that. Well, um, before long, I just doze off to sleep. And why would somebody fall asleep when you think you got a Bigfoot right outside your tent? That totally yeah. logic of doing that. But I literally fell asleep. I wake up a few, like two or three hours later, just as the sun's coming up. And my arm, I must have slept on it wrong, but it's bizarre because the last thing I remember is I was going to cut this Bigfoot hand off or arm off if it reached in my tent. Well, that morning I woke up, I can't feel my arm. I have to literally pick it up and rub it and massage it to bring it back to life because I slept on it wrong or something. But very odd, whether it's a coincidence or not, or whether I was just getting a strange lesson from the, the Bigfoot, I don't know. But that was a very strange experience to happen, and it's one of those things that just stick with my mind is that, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you're out there. But to fall asleep when you got one right next to your tent, you know, I got, Lord only knows what happened that night. And I, maybe I don't want to know, but uh, there was one mm-hmm. right and the people that were in the, the tent uh, in that morning at campfire, then I found out that they got all kinds of stuff happened to them. So um, I, I was not, you know, terrified by any means, but that was just a weird experience um, to have that happen. So um, you just never know. You go on these expeditions and you try to keep an open mind, but there are things happen. You know, I've heard of people, uh, you know, falling asleep or being put to sleep and that sort of stuff. So, uh, I don't know why I would have fell asleep with a Bigfoot outside my tent. You know, knowing what I know now, there's no way now I would normally do that or would have ever done that. <laughs> well, I've done equally bizarre things, too. Like when we were up in Coloma and I had that one come up and shake my tent and then run past the SUV and slap it on his way out after he set up the car alarm. Uh, yeah. we, we sat in the SUV and talked for about an hour, hour and a half or so, and then I went back to the tent and I actually went back to sleep again. Um, which amazed researcher X, but I was tired, so <laughs> I figured after the uh, the loud noise from the car alarm, he probably wasn't coming back the same night anyway, so I could probably get some more sleep. Yeah, yeah, and you know they do, they will do that. We had that happen last year. Uh, we had one in camp that tried to be real stealth, and it, it touched the vehicle and set off the car the car alarm, and we were able to take pictures. That was the one that had like Twinkie size. Uh, fingers we could see its handprint on the car and it was a good 11 or 12 foot tall alpha male but his hand was so big he he had crouched down to hide himself and he set off the car alarm and uh be cool do you have the picture of the handprint yeah oh yeah yeah i'll send that along we can show everybody that too and that's something that i've heard a bunch of times yeah the twinkie sized fingers god that's just creepy yeah huge huge that uh, finger, I mean, just massive hand. Uh, I'll send you pictures of that. That was a really good one. And, and that was the one that came up. Uh, I was in a remote camp up in the, this was on the Omaha Res. I was up in, um, we were doing a remote camp by some of these, um, there was an arch and some other structures that we were camping next to. And that's kind of the evolution, I guess, of my big footing is that, you know, I would go on expeditions and learn things. And then 
uh, take them to the next level. And, uh, you know, this at this point in time, I, I can get into an area where I know there are structures and camp there. And, you know, 99% of the time, you're going to have some high level of activity with, you know, next to these structures. Yeah. So yeah. we were in, yeah, we were in that, uh, we call it Camp Hard Knocks. And they had uh, um, the, there was, um, I was up by myself for a while. We had three different tents up there, a group of people, and we were kind of spread out a little bit. But uh, the my radio started doing some crackling. This was about four in the morning. We'd been up there, um, and we were all calling it at night. There'd been a storm kind of come through. It was August of uh, last year, and the... Um, the uh, crackling started happening on my, my my radio I had. I had a walkie-talkie. And if you've ever been around, some, sometimes weird electronic stuff happens when Bigfoot's in the area. And so that really kind of freaked me out. All, and then I started having this pushing uh, part of my tent um, where I had my, um, I had a um, hanging, um, a recorder hanging that started swaying back and forth, and then my tent got pushed in towards me. And so I, I took my hat out and slapped at that. And the bit there was clearly the Bigfoot were uh, coming around and checking me out. Um, as I was sitting there, uh, later Barry came up and one grabbed my leg. Uh, my, I had things. It was just a, one of those three-man, three- or four-man tent, pretty small tent, and it has a rain fly on it. And um, on one um, end of it, it had a little zip like pocket, and I had my um, phone in that zip pocket. And all of a sudden, I feel that zip pocket get bent in and touch my knee, and something touched my knee. So it was, it was pushing in. I think there was more than one of them, but they were pushing in. And you know, you got to figure a great ape. Uh, from what I understand, they're very tactile, and they like if they want to look, they'll they'll look at something, they'll want to see it and feel it. And so I was kind of the, you know, touch and feel thing experience for them there that night. And that the young ones must have been coming down and checking me out. And we had just all kinds of um, stuff going on around my tent. Finally, I think it was 4.30 or so, we had all these wood knocks. And I think I had talked to you about this story before, but we had a, uh, the alpha male did wood knocks all around me. I don't know ever heard those so maybe i'll send that to you so you can play it because that's really uh, amazing footage or amazing audio recording of wood knocks on each corner of where we were there like it went all the way around us it knocked and these sounded like uh gunshots this is how loud they were just unbelievable it was like somebody just fired off a 12-gauge shotgun or something it was crazy and it caught our attention and uh, Barry and I are just sat and listened, and he originally could hear him coming. He was making an owl sound coming down from the canyon and working his way back up. But I think what happened was we had the the young ones, we were camping in their kind of their home there, and the young ones were coming in and checking us out. And when the alpha male came back home, he was pissed off at them for coming in and, and touching us and trying to grab in our tent. And then he was also mad at the fact that we were there. So uh, he did these wood knocks all around us. Uh, we get out of the tent and we shine our, um, at that last, the fourth one that happened, which, which was totally all around us. Barry and I are like, you know, we got to get up and do something. 
because we're you know afraid they're gonna push a tree over on us or something. Yeah, <laughs> still kidding. They're getting serious yeah. about get oh, out of here. Yeah, it was literally a knock all around all four corners around my tent. And so we get out and shine a flashlight, and then we think, you know, everything calmed down. And we go to, um, you know, it was about 5 in the morning, and we talk about what happened. We decide, you know, there's only about an hour left of sunlight. We're going to go lay down. So we go back in. Well, Barry and I are just dead tired, so we start snoring right away. (laughs) We had some ladies that were right next to us uh, a, a little bit of ways, and one of them, Tammy, said that every time we snored that they would throw a rock at our tent. So, <laughs> You know, I wonder if you could trick them that way, make a recording of you snoring, and then just play that in your tent and actually sit there and listen and see, if, you know, what they're going to do. You, you might be able to. I mean, they're pretty smart. They're, they're on to on about everything you do. But before we even laid down, I, you know, Barry and I were talking, and he didn't even say anything to me at this time. But I, I, you know, we say, yeah, I'm bush and I'm going to go to bed. So I, I go to turn around to lay, to, to lay down. And Barry said the next day I talked to him, he goes, you know, bro, when you, when you laid down, you went to turn around and lay down, there was a, a Bigfoot was looking, had, had pulled, uh, the rain fly was looking right at you. <laughs> I said, bro, why did she say something at that time? He goes, well, you know, uh, he wasn't hurting anything, so he goes, and I didn't want to, you know, startle it either. So I just looked at it. It closed the, it closed the rain fly right when you turned around, but it was looking at you. <laughs> oh God! So had very close encounters. Uh, been touched by them. Uh, that was one that was uh, a great experience because um, uh, I think we, I, at least from my own impression, I learned some of their behavior. Uh, having them come and physically, the young ones kind of physically touch, that they're very tactile kind of learning. They're they're really wanting to kind of learn about us. You know, what are you guys doing here? What's going on? And yeah. they they weren't afraid. You know, I, I I wasn't the type of person putting off negative energy or anything. I was just, I was tired, but I was just kind of open to it. I wasn't really, you know, terrified, I guess you can say, because I'd been, by now, I'd been in the woods with them a lot. Um, but I think it's what, better that you don't do that, especially around the juveniles. If they, yeah, they don't yeah. have common sense. If you get scared around the juveniles and they sense or realize that you're scared, they'll have fun with it, and yeah. they'll really make you miserably terrified because it's funny. Yes, and I learned that uh, like when I was up in the Jim As Mountains that time with those those two. Uh, the two, two the the husband and wife that were a little tent, but they were terrified. So yeah, they feed off your fear. If you're if you're afraid, and show that fear to them, certainly the juveniles are going to take advantage of that. So um, you're exactly. Uh, yeah, to me, it's the same sort of thing as like juvenile humans playing pranks. Oh, well, you know, let's go put the the bag of dog poop on the porch and set it on fire and ring the doorbell, and then go run and watch what happens. You know. He, 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 oh, that was hilarious. We got a great reaction. Let's do it again. Let's amp it up. You know, and that's, it seems like that's the way the juveniles are. They haven't got the wisdom and circumspection of the adults to stay the hell away from humans and don't mess with them. And, oh, like, you know, Big Daddy Alpha isn't around, so he doesn't know we're breaking the rules. Let's go screw with the humans. And you wonder how much of the, you know, them messing around with campsites and stuff is actually that. It's the juvies without enough common sense screwing around with people. 
Yeah, I'm positive that I'm, I'm absolutely positive just from my own experience. And then that when that alpha male came and like dad came home and when he hit those trees, because these uh, literally they were the, the juveniles were coming down out of the trees. They had they had snuck into to us by coming through the treetops. That's right. how they got. And then they came down right from the trees down right into our camp. So uh, when he started hitting them trees, I'm sure they got back up into the trees. And yeah, they got, yeah, they got the message right away. Oh crap, Dad's back. He, yeah. he busted us. He knows we're over here. We're in trouble. And he went out and he hit every like it was like like um, you'll hear this. I'll send it to you. It's unbelievable how loud how loud it is. But he does it all around our entire camp. So he was clearly setting you know, boundaries, like, you guys stay out, you know, not get very pissed off at you, whatever. And he sent a very strong message to us also. And this was the same guy who had those Twinkie-sized fingers who was in. Jesus. So he was a good 11 to 12 feet tall. And when you hear these wood knocks, you expect it to be every bit as big, uh, as loud as these wood knocks are. It is just unbelievable uh, how loud they are. Loud as oh, yeah. Loud. Some of them sound like something's actually bashing a full tree against another tree. They're so damn loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh, another brief experience I had when I was in Iowa when I had some. Uh, I was by myself, and the uh, the group that I was with, we had um, we had lit these uh, their phosphorus kind of um, uh, glow. They flash. Uh, right. From emergencies, these phosphorus flashing, uh, really hot phosphorus flashing. We lit one of those in this little uh, park canyon area, super dark, and that thing just lit everything up. I mean, it was super bright. It was like a UFO had landed in there. And uh, the guys that I was with, two of them went out on a night hike then. So I stayed back just to see what would happen if anybody would come into our camp while they were gone. Well, Sure enough, I was over, I walked over by, um, I'm standing there, and I walk over by the side of where our van is, and there's a little next to where the van was, and I could hear all of a sudden a rock coming through the trees, like uh, hitting the branches as it's coming through the trees and land down this creek right by me. So I got the impression that was like a warning, like, you know, you need to not be here, I'm not happy with you here. A little while later, um, so I go around the other side and walk, and then I hear a huge tree break. Like, I mean, it's, it's just total silence there. I'm there by myself, feeling very uh, vulnerable. And this tree break then on the other side, this huge cracking noise that I recorded too, just goes, goes off. And finally, it seemed like they were gone forever, and they were probably only gone for 20 minutes or 15 minutes. But when they came back, I was just like, thank God somebody's here. Because you get out in the woods by yourself, and it's pitch black around, you start to feel very vulnerable. And you uh-huh. really, that, and they know it, and you know it. And that's kind of one of those feelings that you have to try to fight through um, because you don't want to seem too scared or, or too freaked out. So I stood my ground. I just stood out in the open. That was one thing I think that, um, you know, being able to you know, stay where I was, I didn't freak out and go get in the van and hide or something. You know, I just I stood there, kind of looked around, kept kept my presence uh, of where I was at. But 
that was that was pretty overwhelming. That was kind of one of those times that you know you just got to question why why have you done this? <laughs> hey, did I choose uh, the right career path here? This is kind of uh, getting a little bit dangerous, huh? <laughs> yeah, I've had you know. Unfortunately, you think I learned by now, but I I do ask myself that same question still at times. What? Why have I got myself into this? But uh, another one that that is good that I actually had a a bit. I've had some visual uh, sightings of them where they've thrown stuff at me, and I've seen them uh, branches come down and then rocking back and forth behind the trees and that sort of thing. Um, but this one, I'll tell the one that happened on Omaha Res where I had a, a visual of a red-haired one, and this was on. Let's see, it must have been 2014. I think this happened. But I, um, we had done a, uh, there was a house, an abandoned house on uh, in this timber near an alfalfa field. And it's kind of funny, they had done that fall, they had done a, um, uh, they were trying to do creative ways to raise money. And they had done a haunted house or a haunted forest in this area. And it's absolutely hilarious to hear this story told, but LV, one of the guys from Red Spotching, had put on a ape suit. And if you imagine, like, the Little Rascals or something like that, one of those old shows that the guy's in the ape suit and they're all chasing him around. Well, right. they had these little kids out there. They were doing this um, doing this uh, haunted forest. And LV was hiding behind a bush or something. And, and, and just to let everybody know, he's not a little guy. He he no. is like practically Sasquatch size. He's a big dude. <laughs> he is. He's a very big guy. And so he's in this ape suit, and he's behind the bush. And all of a sudden, he turns around, and these kids are coming up this trail. And he turns around and looks, and there's this big red Bigfoot just up the trail from him. And it's pissed off at him. And so he goes and jumps out of the bush and the kids come running to him and this Bigfoot breaks a tree like a sapling and throws it towards them all in the same like movement like tries to scare them to get out of there in this tree land. Elvie said he was so terrified he could not move. So he, uh, he he's like frozen in place and then D comes up and manages to shake Elvie out of his uh, fear, and they get the kids out of there. But when he tells a story, <laughs> it just it, it to me, you know, it's funny. I'm sure it was just terrifying. But to see Elvie in this ape suit, and I asked him, I said, "Would you ever do that again?" And he said, "No way would I ever put an ape suit on and go out in the woods." Bigfoot didn't think that was very funny, apparently. <laughs> oh, he was so pissed off, he broke a tree in half and threw it at him. But this, so this happened, this happened in like the, like the fall, you know, it would have been during around Halloween. Well, I was there then that following, it must have been, uh, um, must have been the spring. And I was in this, the same timber where this house was. And so they're telling me, yeah, last fall, you know, we had this guy here. He's, he's not very happy. He's a mean one, you know, he's upset with us. And so we're going to, we decided we'd go confront him tonight since we got you here and you could, you know, we'll tell him that, you know, you, he needs to knock it off and shouldn't do that sort of thing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> We're going to get it. So we go in there and 
as soon as we um, we park, I see right away we're along this this alfalfa field along this timber, and as soon as we pull in with our pickup and park, I see at the, just the very end of the headlights this red matted hair. I mean, I'm talking hair that is like probably eight inches long and just matted, just ratty matted hair. And it stood up and turned so I could see the side of it, the side of it and uh, the the leg and part of the upper body as it turns into the timber. And I know right away, you know, that's a Bigfoot. And Barry's sitting behind me. And I'm like, did you see that? And he goes, yeah, that's him. That's him. He's here. And I was like, oh, hell. So, you know, what do we do? Let's go in after him. <laughs> That's the wise thing to do. Hey, look, a yeah. giant furry monster. Let's go in after him. The one who breaks trees and throws at people. Yeah. Yeah, Let's he's go. friendly. Let's go say hi. <laughs> and everything I everything I know about the red-haired ones now is not good. They're not necessarily the best ones to be interacting with. And this guy no. apparently is very wild because he doesn't take care of his hair is so matted and ratty. I mean, it was just like, this is really a frightening-looking Bigfoot. I mean, this would not be a good encounter. So we go up in there, and we start to um, walk around. There's a huge structure in there, and uh, it's literally a couple trees that are pushed over. And so we go by that one, and Barry is like, you know, let's see if we can get an interact, get, get him to interact with us. Um, why don't you go and walk back about 15 yards in where there's, there's, or about 30 yards into the timber where there's a tree and take a flashlight and say peekaboo and put your head and poke it around the tree and say peekaboo and see if we can get an interaction. So against oh, our better judgment, <laughs> talk about uh, needing some cojones to pull this off. I'm just thinking, you know, um, all right, you know, this is unconventional, but maybe. Uh, <laughs> but who knows? I, Perhaps their methodology has merit. Let's try. Yeah, yeah. Let's really see what where this will lead, what, what's going to happen. So against my better judgment, I go and walk down this trail. It's pitch dark. And uh, I poke, <laughs> poke my head around a tree and, it just in complete trepidation, uh, say peekaboo, and we were singing uh, a child like I can't remember carols like songs, you know, childhood songs, just to try to get kind of a light mood, you know, try to lighten right. it up, I guess. But uh, in all retrospect, I'm sure we would just were pissing this guy off. But we we do, each one of us do that. I managed to pull that off. As I'm walking back, I found I fall into a a hole, which is a big round hole, which I think now later he probably slept in that hole. So I probably damn near fell on top of him. But uh, anyway, it was one of these holes kind of dug out. I fell down in that and get out of it and um, get get back to where the group is. We're standing there. We all take turns doing that. Then we're standing there, which was probably his living room because it was these trees that were connected, that were torn down and like put, put together together. Uh, Right, uh, and there was just an open space. So we're, sta- we're standing in the middle of this, talking to each other, and all of a sudden, this both of these now, mind you, these are huge trees, 
that are pushed together and kind of matted. They're they're kind of woven together at the, uh, over top of each you other. You got a picture of this place you can send along so we can be showing people what it looks like. I think so. I should be able to dig a picture of it. It it, it I took some pictures of that area. Yeah, this sounds real interesting. I want to see what it looks like too. But anyway, go ahead. So you're standing in the middle of his living room. Yeah, yeah. Playing peekaboo with him and singing songs. Yeah, playing and just, I guess, when you look back, we were just being a pain in the ass. But anyway, this whole tree, both trees start shaking, just tremendous, just huge shaking of these trees. And we're all like, oh, my God, did you do that? No, did you do that? Well, there's no way any of us could have moved these trees in that fashion. So... We decide at that point, we're like, oh, hell, we got to get out of here. So we, we, uh, it's the tree stops shaking. We get out from underneath of it and go to walk out of there and get back to our car. And we're like, catch our breath. And we're like, what in the hell just happened? But obviously, we had worn out our welcome. And <laughs> he, uh, he shook the hell out of these big trees that literally moved them all around us. And we're just, Again, I'm thankful to be alive. The good Lord must be looking after me, or I'm so naive. But in that situation, we definitely pushed the limit. But that was the one time that I got a pretty good look of him. I didn't see his face, but that red-haired one, um, that was one that will always stick out in my mind because I, I think he's really pretty, very aggressive and very uh, much wilder than some of the other ones I've encountered. And I'm just thankful I didn't get my head popped off or something. Cause no kidding. Was, and, or get a tree thrown on you or something. That can hurt bad, too, according to people I know that have been hit by small ones. That's yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's – so that was quite an experience. That one um, was up there with with being uh, – taking some real big cojones to hold our ground there and uh, – <laughs> I think they respect that to a certain extent, but, you know, it's like if you scream and run like little girls, that could trigger a chase response. So it's better to just hold your ground and back off slow. And, yeah. Uh, not act I agree. like you're totally freaked out. I agree. Um, I think um, they do respect, they can tell uh, if if you're afraid, you know, they know exactly how you're feeling when you're out there. So if you don't, conduct yourself in a way that is going to be respectful or at least in a way that uh, shows fear or whatever. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll definitely play on that. And, you know, I'm all about showing respect now. This, this was a time period where I was still trying to try to elicit responses from them. And, you know, we, we don't really need to do all that anymore. Uh, We know exactly where, how to, to get, uh, in an area and have an interaction with them and try to just talk to them rather right. than to create these gimmicks and stuff. I mean, we went, I went on expeditions. We played whale recordings. You know, we've done all kinds of stuff in the past. And so from uh, what I hear, if you want to get a negative reaction, just play some Led Zeppelin. Apparently, they don't like that one very much. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's the voice or what, but there's something about Led Zeppelin. Apparently, they don't care for that very much. <laughs> Perhaps it's the back back masking or backward. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> that could be it. Uh, it's the it's the secret masking of Bigfoot is fake. Bigfoot is fake. They pick up on that. This is the law. You know, one good point that you just mentioned that I should stress again. I've heard this over and over and over again. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to attribute it to. 
but it does seem like the ones with the red hair are way more aggressive, and that's even in some of the native legends. Stay the hell away from those ones. Yeah, exactly. And, and the ones that we had up in uh, New Mexico, they were very aggressive up there. And the one that I saw here on the res, uh, that particular one, he was definitely very aggressive, much more than other ones. And, you know, they, they come in different colors, you know. Uh, they can be... Um, we, uh, we've seen some that were um, black in color and even have some white and some that were um, grayish and um, and even some that were black and brown and, um, you know, variations of color of Bigfoot. Um, so, but the red ones in particular, this red hair, orangish uh, colored hair, um, which I think is that sub-Saharan African, that would be the, the one that... Um, the uh, Zana was actually um, she was uh, red hair so I think that's a very ancient um, uh, one of the ancient uh, um, origins of, of the, the Bigfoot we have uh, today so but that so that red hair is very much the wilder wilder cousin for sure that's the wild one so uh, that was a great experience for me and then um, I want to talk about the other experience um, that I had recently uh, when I was yeah, on the Yeah, let's get to that uh, bluff charge coming up out of the river thing. That sounds pretty friggin' scary, brother. Yeah, yeah. And I will send you, I've got, I have the um, some uh, FLIR pictures of the river that I think looks like there's some wake in there. Um, what, 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 I'll kind of build up what had happened. Uh, this was in May on an expedition we were doing on the Omaha Res, and Typically, we usually go back in the timber there. They have all of these bluffs and low hills, and they've got a ton of timber all around there. And so typically, we go back in there. But I wanted to specifically, we've had reports of sightings, and years ago, back in 2000, December of 2012, I had recorded uh, coyotes and stuff, and I camped down on this Indian cave area that had, um, that I thought I heard something swimming out in the water. So it always fascinated me. They've always uh, been sighting. There's been sightings all around of them swimming in the water. So I wanted to go down by the river and just see uh, if we could go check something out, see if we can get any, um, get anything, um, you know, capture anything or just what kind of experience is going on there. So Barry had an area that uh, we wanted to go in and check. And so we, we drove quite a ways to get into it. And um, when we got there, it was along a cornfield. And then there was a, um, it was almost kind of an inlet, like an oxbow. It was connected to the river, but yet it was, uh, it was uh, kind of a little inlet area that was very still. It was about four in the morning, and there was no, um, there was no wind or anything, very quiet. Uh, we got out of my Jeep, and the first thing we noticed when we looked at the timber line, which is away from us, uh, about 200 yards away from the river, Barry saw something move in between. He thought it swung in between one of the trees and moved over to another tree. And so I start shooting clear of that. And I'll send you this uh, FLIR footage. It's weird because as I'm shooting uh, footage of it, I have one of those flashes again. It's like a light flash. And we talked wow. about it in this, that one that... Yeah, we had that in the previous episode where you had that light flash that you caught on video. Yes. So I'll send this to you because it's a similar kind of thing. 
And I've never, you know, I shoot a lot of flare, and I never had this happen. I had it happen with that Dr. Meldrum one, and now it happened in May with this. And so I'll send that along. You could play that for the people, too. Uh, it, it was weird. It, uh, Barry uh, saw something moving in the tree, swinging back and forth in there, and then I shoot about a 35-second video of this tree line. And then about 15 seconds, 10 seconds into it, you get this huge flash of light again. So, and it's just like a disrupt, uh, disruption or distortion almost. It's, it's just very strange. There's some sort of interference that you just, it's not a bug, you know, it's nothing like that. Uh, there's something clearly interferes with what I'm, it's a light flash. Uh, so that's pretty weird. So you'll, you'll, you can play that. And then, um, right where I'm standing when I shoot that video, we go about 20 yards and then there's the Missouri River. And it's just like an inlet area. They call it the cable crossing, I think. So there must have been a cable or something that came through there. Right. Uh, we we um, get ready to go down in there and um, it's about uh, just probably three or four steps and then you're down into a ledge that uh, leads right next to the water. Well, as we're getting ready to go down in between these, this very bushy, um, there's just a little kind of opening where you can get through there to get down in there. Barry asked to use my flashlight, so I give him my flashlight so he can see to get down in there. As soon as we go stepping in there, we hear a large splash off to our left, like something huge just jumped in the water. And then we step down in a little farther and go, you hear that? Yeah. We step a little bit farther and we're down, right down on the, um, the landing there, and another splash right away you can hear. So there was two big splashes, something jumped in the water. And immediately I think to myself, I think we just scared a couple Bigfoot and they jumped in the water. I can't believe this. And Barry's thinking the same thing. It was just such a huge splash. It was like two people just dived into the water, but there was a huge uh, sound of splash. Right. Now, mind you, I have uh, microphones that I have on that are um, uh, omnidirectional, and I always carry this stuff. I have it running. I had it running. I, I never turn it off. I usually, once I go out, I turn it on and just keep it running, you know, because I don't want to miss anything. Well, I'll be damned if I didn't make a rookie mistake. When, we, when I was setting up my FLIR camera to get out of the vehicle, I had it in my lap, and I had the box there. That box, uh, I normally have it up in a pocket that is sitting up in my um, chest area, but this was just a pullover sweatshirt, and it was sitting kind of in the hand pocket areas. And the damn button must have got pushed, and my recorder oh, was not working, so I did not have it. Normally, I have these omnidirectional mics. They pick up everything. It'd be like a perfect sound. So we would have heard that the two uh, splashes of them diving in the water. So Barry and I are, so I didn't capture any of this on audio, but I did shoot a few pictures, so at least you'll be able to show that. So Barry and I are standing there, we're like, what the hell, something just jumped in, these things just jumped, two things just jumped in the water. And I'm looking, we're on this kind of ledge that just drops straight down, and so it must have been very deep there, um, because I could hear something splashing around out there. And it's like, like it's something swimming, but it's like these very loud splashing sounds. So I take some pictures with my FLIR camera, and um, and um, when you do look at the pictures that I'm going to send you, 
you will see what looks like a wake almost. Right. Remind you, there's absolutely no, uh, there's no wind at this time. It's dead silent. But you will see a line of kind of a wake out in the water. And it was pitch black out there. So when I took these clear pictures, it was just, you know, I was just kind of taking random pictures of where the noise was coming from. I would hear right. some black I was splashing out there, and so I aimed the camera out there and took pictures. So uh, there's some anomalous kind of wake that's there and a dark figure that's in that water. So when you look at this picture, you make the, you know, you decide for yourself what it is. But I believe uh, there's was something, the Sasquatch was swimming out there, and there's at least two of them for sure. Well, Barry and I are staying. This, isn't, this whole uh, interaction doesn't take a few minutes. We're there. They jump in the water. We're hearing the splashing. Uh, I'm looking around. I noticed that people have came here before because I can see a mason jar. It looked like was sitting there and maybe a beer bottle or something. Like, you know, people had been in this area before. Well, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we hear this swooshing sound, like a wake swooshing sound, and a roar. And I can't even tell you... Uh, how loud this was. But Barry and I have been in the bush. We've stood our ground. We've had things thrown at us. We've dealt with a lot of stuff. Both of us immediately take a step back and say to each other, let's get the hell out of here. But this roar came like it charged right. It was in the water. This was coming from the water. You could hear the wake of the water coming up towards us. And then a like roar and it literally was all around us, this roar. It was just immense. And I told Barry, right, right that happened, I said, we just got bluff charged from the water. This is outrageous. We just got bluff charged. I have never, ever heard of anybody um, say, and maybe you have, of a Bigfoot bluff charging somebody from the water. So that, well, that to me, was the first time I've ever had that, and if I just... It kills me that I didn't have my omnidirectional because uh, I have these these really nice uh, mics that just pick up everything. Oh, and God. Yeah, nice still mic at that distance. It would have been an awesome recording. Oh, just an overwhelming sound that uh, we immediately backed up and got the hell out of there. And uh, so we had disturbed a couple Bigfoot there. I'm not sure what was what they were doing, but obviously they were hanging out there and maybe that's maybe that was the entrance to their home there. I do believe they do do some under you know, access some of their lot underground caves and lodges underwater. Uh so that could be certainly uh whatever was going on there, that was their spot at four in the morning and they were having nothing of it that we were there. We really pissed the we really pissed the and, the amount of noise that the wake and the amount of stuff moving out there, it had to be huge to be able to swim in that water like that. Uh, just unbelievable. So I did at least catch some of the what I think is a wake out in the water, and so your viewers or your listeners can uh, see that. But I I did not get that recording. It, it, it kills me that I didn't because that, to me, is like a total rookie mistake for not checking my recorder when I got out of the vehicle. But um, anyway, the experience is with me, and the story is still there. It was an amazing uh, time, and never had that happen before, and I've never heard anybody talk about that. But 
Uh, I haven't either. Was, this is a first for me. I've never heard uh-huh. anybody getting bluff charged from the water before. But. Yeah, yeah. And I was a, and I, you know, at the time it was just overwhelming. And uh, Barry, like I said, we both had uh, very experienced out. And we've never had anything like that happen. And the immense power and sound that that was, it had to have been huge. Um, and so uh, he, that, that just was mind-blowing for me to have that. But would have loved to have that audio. God, if I could go back in time and get that now. But uh, you just have to – it was a swooshing sound of the water, like this immense weight coming towards us. And within that water erupted a roar, like it was still almost submerged when it was laying that out. I can't hardly even ex- explain the sound how loud it was, but it was so loud it just engulfed the air all around us, and we bo- it just both of us just stepped back immediately. Mind blowing experience, um, and uh, so there you have it. That was one of my probably my one of my more scarier things. If a Bigfoot would have jumped out of the river, all wet and hairy at that time, and landed on that, it probably would have froze me up. Um, uh, I don't know if I could have moved if if it would have done that. It probably would have freaked me out that badly. That noise was just immense. So if it would have jumped up on top of the uh, uh, the landing there in front of us, I I I don't know if I would have been able to move or not. I mean, it was that that sort of sound. I'm I'm assuming you're describing what's commonly referred to as the T-Rex roar. Yeah, something like that. It was weird because it almost had, it was like it was coming out from the water, though, too. Uh, I don't right. know if it had head above the water, if it was still in the water. It was strange. That's It was a swooshing sound with just this roar, yeah. Could have been the T-Rex roar. I, it was absolutely uh, so loud. It was all around us. And Barry and I immediately, like, we got to get the hell out of here. I mean, I... It was a bluff charge. We were bluff charged from the water, and uh, never perfect heard place, anything. Perfect place for him to do it. Actually, I've been in the situation before where I've been at night, uh, dead still, no wind, and there's like somebody on the other side of the lake. They're in the water and they're talking, and you can hear them talking, and they're a mile and a half away. So if yeah. you can imagine the sound amplification of that same circumstance and something that can already be incredibly loud right at water level, roaring. Oh, my God. Yeah, that would be really loud. Uh, it was just unbelievable. And I only wish I could play that. Even if I recorded it, I don't think I could have. It would not have, you know, you you can record stuff, and you just can't capture the volume, you know. Right. Even if you can record something like that, um, the immense energy, and the moving of that water and the speed that this was approaching us. And the way your rib cage and chest and body vibrate from the volume of the sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that You just can't, even recording it, you can't hardly capture that. So maybe it's best to let people use their own imagination in this Yeah. Situation. If but you've ever been to a that. motorhead show and stood right in front of Emmy, a Lemmy's amp stack, that's kind of similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were literally blown back. I mean, we we both just stepped back. I mean, it was it was as if we were blown back. And 
it, I mean, we were out of there. Both of us were like, I, I said right away, we just got bluff charged, and we're like, let's get out of here. <laughs> uh, so that was an amazing experience. And I do have uh, some uh, people can see at least the, the water, what it looked like. You know, it's, it's not going to capture all that. But, you know, like I said, even if I had recorded it, uh, I don't know that it could be, you can really capture something like that. Um, it's just one of those things Barry and I will always be able to, Say that to have blood bluff, bluff charge, and I'll be curious if anybody else has had that experience because I know a lot of people live in areas where they are around water more. So um, maybe maybe there are people that had experiences like that, but that's the first time I've ever had a bluff charge from the water. So yeah, I'll throw that out right now. If there's any viewers out there, listeners that have had a similar experience, get a hold of me. Let me know about it. And just for GP, you can always reach me at World Bigfoot Central at Yahoo.com. Drop me a line. Let me know. If you want to be on the show and talk about it, that'd be cool. If you just want to tell me about it, that's cool, too. And uh, we got to wrap it up here, brother. But before we go, I want to give you a plug. Don't let, don't forget, you folks out there, that this gentleman has not one but two books on Bigfoot tree structures. And he also has his own website, Nox Gigas, N-O-X-G-I-G-A-S, where he, it's the archive of all of his research and recordings and all sorts of interesting stuff that he's been up to, and don't miss out on that. It's really cool. Go there. Go there, go there, go there. It's worth it. Check it out. You'll love it. Anything else you wanted to mention? Well, that should do it for now. Uh, that sounds really good. I appreciate you having me on, Duke. And, you know, anytime, uh, I'm, I'm more than just a phone call away. So I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Right on, brother. You know, I always love having you on the show, and, and we can't talk about it now because it's top secret, but we do have another show planned in hopefully the near future here that's going to be pretty amazing, so you guys are not going to want to miss that one. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, again, thanks for being on the show. I mean, that's one of the things I love about having friends like you that are researchers that are out there doing stuff all the time. Because I can have you on the show more than once, and you've got stuff to talk about. You're finding out new stuff you're doing, your research, things are happening, and, you know, that's what's moving the ball down the field and, and making progress in the, in the Bigfoot community is having people like you out there. So my hat's off to you. I really appreciate everything you're doing. And I, I am sure that the vast majority of all the people out there that uh, watch the shows and have been keeping track of the ones that you've been doing are equally happy to hear from you again and, and looking forward to having yet another show with you here in the near future because uh, uh, you always bring your A-game to the table. Every time I have you on the show, it's always super interesting and you always do a, a great job of presenting the information that you've got. So I uh, love having you on the show, man. I'm always looking forward to having you back again. Well, thanks again, Duke. I appreciate it. All right. Well, everybody, that concludes today's show. Look forward to more interesting shows in the future. We got a uh, panel discussion coming up here that I'm planning at some point in the future here that you guys are really going to like because it's going to be like the only time you've ever heard a crazy mountain man and uh, a wily outlaw and a fearless Navajo warrior all talking about Bigfoot on the same show. Hmm, guess who those people could be? I'll let you figure that one out for yourself. But until next time, everybody make sure to be kind to each other. Always try and pay it forward. Safety first, last, and always. Don't slap Superman and don't piss off Bigfoot. And whatever you do, God help you, do not hug the Wookiee.
Take care, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, that's it. Hey, awesome. Before I forget, i got to mention this. I just saw this little paper the other day that somebody wrote, and I wish I could remember where it was so I could forward it to you. But they were doing a thing on what if Bigfoot has combination blood. And because of the uh, Miller document, they got on it because of the Miller document saying that there was a chlorophyll element to their blood. And what if they did have a chlorophyll element to their blood and they could get part of their nutrition just from the sunlight like an iguana can? Um, And what other weird things that would make possible, like fluorescent eye glow, for example, it was very interesting. Oh, yeah. That does sound cool. There also was a connection between where they live and let's assume that they have chlorophyll-type blood, that they would need more magnesium in their diet. And there seems to be a correlation between Bigfoot hotspots and magnesium deposits. You might want to check into that. Okay, yeah. That's, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I didn't want to mention this on air or anything. But, yeah, that was like I came across this and went, wow, somebody's really been thinking about this. And there does seem to be some corollary evidence that makes it kind of worth looking into. So I definitely wanted to mention that to you. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely check check into that. And, um, you know, I, I, I forgot there was, a, uh, I was going to talk some more about urban squatching. I was going to get into some of that, but I totally got into these other stories. But some of the Well, we needed that, to get this show done first anyway. You know what? You can come back and do another show on urban squatching even before okay. you do this, this other show. All right. Yeah, I've got stuff for that. It's just you get going and you start thinking about stuff and you want to cover a few things and then, you know, there's all Yeah, and then stuff. two hours oh, are gone and you're like, well, it's time to schedule another show, Rich. <laughs> I, hope, was... I hope you like your new title. You're now officially the soul man of Sasquatch. Hey, uh, <laughs> I will send you, I'll send you these videos and pictures and stuff and you got to laugh. Um, because I got, uh, I definitely got that. I'll send it to your email. Is that just to send it to your email then? Is that the way to go? Yeah, until you get on MeWe or something where it becomes a lot easier, just send it to the World Bigfoot Central at Yahoo. Okay. Um, yeah, I could get set that MeWe. um could probably do something with that too. Um, I was looking to set that up, and I have actually got an account, but I don't, I haven't really went in and done much with it, but maybe you I know, can... the point where, yeah, get your little wall set up there like you do on Facebook and send me a friend request, Duke Sullivan, I'll get hooked up with you. I'm doing okay. the same thing with Dustin Duncan from Crypto PTSD and with Cape Man right now, and once they get shit set up there, I'm going to encourage them to set up their own little groups there, and if they haven't got the time to deal with it, I'll add them in the damn things, just so they got a presence on there, so when Facebook does a fucking face plant like it's going to. They've already got backups. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I'll try to do that, then I'll send that to you through that. Yeah, um, I mean, I, shit, I, I would encourage you to set up a Knox Gigas outlet on there, too, because you can always post all the stuff that you're posting there, too. And, you know, way better than having a Facebook group. They're not going to be stealing your fucking information, and they don't have to deal with the damn trolls all the time. Yeah, that's a good idea. Definitely. That's one thing I love about MeWe. It may not be a gigantic community yet. They only got a few million people on it. But there's no fucking trolls there. It's awesome. I haven't had to deal with a troll in two months. I love it. 
Yeah, you're like the troll super uh, hero too. So you just go after him. So you're probably oh yeah. For a fight. <laughs> I reserve special fury for trolls. I love to slaughter those bastards. Before I even had my own show, I used to go around and look for troll comments on other people's shows and go after those fuckers just for entertainment. So yeah, they're really asking for it when they try and troll my fucking show. They know what they're going to get. <laughs> No doubt. Yeah, go troll the troll slayer. That's a good idea. <laughs> He's looking for an excuse to paddle his tootsies in your oozing gore. Yeah, go fuck with him. He's over there sharpening his two-handed sword right now with a big sign up that said, Trolls need it. Take a number, stand in line. All right, brother. Well, I got to get going. This is my, like I said, my roommate's phone. I got to get it back to him, and he wants to go run somewhere, and I need to go with him. So I'm going to be taking off. All right, uh, brother. Take care. And like I said, good times. We'll uh, definitely, I'll send you these pictures out and the video and and let you get all that so you can get it all edited. Right on. And that's one thing I always appreciate about you when you say you're going to send something. You fucking send it. You don't wait two weeks. You actually get it to me so I can do something with it. Love you yeah. for that. Thank you so much. That's an ongoing issue I have with, like, virtually everyone else except you. So let me just point out that thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> you bet. You bet. That's, that's all good. All right, brother. Well, let's plan on doing another show here, like, toward fall. If you haven't got the other one ready to go by then, we can do an urban Sasquatch one. Yes. I, there's some really good stuff on that, but we definitely can do that. Definitely. Now, the one that I was alluding to at the end of the show there is a panel discussion with me, Bear, and Caveman all on the same show. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's never happened before. So, yeah, it'd be very cool. You know, Caveman was originally supposed to be a guest on Bigfoot Outlaws, and I ended up getting them. <laughs> all right, I'll let you go, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, Duke. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.